If you're listening to this podcast, you're already very familiar with its subject. You might have seen us promote it on Facebook or Twitter, or maybe you follow us on SoundCloud. Either way, you used a digital device with internet capabilities to reach us. Today, we welcome you to an episode of the podcast that is all about being online. It's hard to think of going even one day today without leaving your digital footprint somewhere. The internet truly is forever. This makes the way we use it even more important. We can use the internet for good or bad. In today's episode, we look at some of the ways people use the internet in the Czech Republic. I'm Sarah Jackson. And I'm Tyler Conrad. Welcome back to the podcast. First up on our list is a worryingly common use, or more accurately, a misuse of the internet. This is an issue so pressing in the Czech Republic that the Ministry of the Interior created a task force in 2017 to fight it. The current Czech president, Miloš Zeman, is even accused of spreading its vices. We're talking about fake news. To learn more about the roughly 50 Czech language sites that turn out disinformation in the country, we spoke to Veronika Vakova from European Values, a Prague-based think tank devoted to protecting liberal democracy. So my name is Veronika and I work specifically for the Kremlin Watch program, which we started in 2015. Uh, it was uh, very shortly after uh, the annexation of Crimea and the start of the war in eastern Ukraine. And it's when we started noticing an increased number of disinformation, especially in the Czech online space, and we wanted to address that. What specifically is the Kremlin Watch? It sounds focused on Russia, so... <laughs> yes, uh, we are uh, sp- focused specifically on disinformation, which are either produced by sources related to the Kremlin or are inspired by it. So we don't necessarily only track Russian-directed or financed sources, but also the ones which are sort of ideologically approximate. Uh, and that's because when, when we started to, to monitor disinformation, we did realize that not all of them, but a lot of them is actually copying the Kremlin's narratives. And they uh, are fairly hurtful to uh, Czech democratic system. And uh, we think that uh, as long as a foreign country can do something like that or inspire something like that, there should be some civil society response to it. You say it's a lot of it comes from or is inspired by uh, the Kremlin narrative. So who are the major sources within Russia or within the Czech Republic? We have this kind of overview of uh, especially websites which spread disinformation that we monitor. Most of them are run by Czech citizens. There is one official Kremlin source, which is the Czech version of Sputnik, uh, which is becoming more and more popular for different reasons. And then there is a lot of other sources which are either highly non-transparent, so we don't actually know who produces the disinformation that are being published there, or they are Czech citizens who either uh, use it as a business model and repeat pro-Russian disinformation because it pays, or they do it because they actually do like the Kremlin and the Russian president and think that the Russian Federation is some kind of a savior which we should turn to. We have been tracking them for a while. Um, There is about maybe 40 of them, but some of them 
disappeared through the years, new ones appeared. So it's a sort of an ecosystem that's uh, changing a little bit all the time. One interesting thing you said, you said it, it pays, a pro, like a business model. Can you describe what that means? The, the phenomenon of clickbait has been uh, very popular in recent years. And sometimes to publish fake news or disinformation can get you much more clicks or many more clicks than decent, serious news. And it's being used all the time, uh, not only in a certain propaganda or pro-Russian disinformation uh, area, but also for other usages. And we've seen it not only in the Czech Republic. I mean, during the U.S. presidential elections, there were Macedonian teenagers who were producing fake news about Hillary Clinton to make money, and they made a lot of money. <laughs> Can you be a little more specific about the kind of disinformation that they spread? So maybe like an example of a clickbait headline. Right. That's uh, actually funny because it usually differs from country to country. I mean, they tend to be really good at sort of uh, identifying what topics are emotional for certain population, which are most divisive, and then they use them. A common mistake is to think that all pro-Russian disinformation have to promote Russia. It's very rarely about that. It's much more about sort of breaching our own democratic system and undermining our trust into our democratic institutions, mainstream media, transatlantic relationships, alliances. So, for example, in the Czech Republic, I think a very common topic is the EU, because Czechs are traditionally very Eurosceptic, so it's beneficial to play into that, to play that card. In Slovakia, for example, you would find many more disinformation about NATO, because uh, they're highly pro-European, but they don't like the NATO as much, or the, the, the approval ratings of NATO aren't that high. Uh, migration is also a very common topic. It obviously intersects with different like populistic and far-right movements, but again, it's a very emotional topic that people click on because it causes negative emotions, usually fear or anger. And then they also, not only they click on it, but they also remember it much better. What are your specific goals with fake news? So do you want to stop the flow of disinformation entirely? Do you want to improve media literacy? What, you want to shut down certain sites? What, what are your exact goals? Right. So there is no one thing that can change the situation. There's usually a set of, sort of steps. I think building resilience is the first step. We have to think about which goes for the media literacy, but it also goes for education and training of policymakers, of civil servants who have to understand what they're facing. Uh, it takes uh, training of journalists and investigators on how to properly investigate, for example, trolling and other, other phenomenons connected to this. So that's resilience. But then you also have to expose the problem. You have to sort of name and shame the perpetrators. Uh, you have to show people what is behind that and if there are any dirty money or what are the other motivations that can lead to that and who's helping to spread those narratives and why. That was Veronica Vikova speaking to us about fake news. While fake news is often used to polarize and divide, some internet apps are also trying to bring people together. One way people are using the internet to meet others is through a few swipes right. Catherine and I took to the streets to ask some Czech millennials how popular they thought dating apps were. From... uh talks and chats with my uh, friends and people around, I'm surprised by how many people are. I would say less, but uh, it would actually probably be more than what I think. So uh, I would even say like 50, 60 percent. Really? Yeah. And in the United States, I think maybe a couple years ago, there may have been a stigma against these types of dating apps that is sort of... (coughs) 
um, gone away with time. People are they're a lot more socially acceptable now. People don't really see anything wrong with them. Do you think that's how it's been going in the Czech Republic as well? Yeah, I think there is the same process, but we are, as with everything else, uh, like behind the US trend. So I feel like there is still quite a bit of stigma around these apps. That's why also we don't find about the people who are on them until like we specifically t- start talking about it or yeah from what i've heard i think it really depends you know who are you looking for but i think like from you know my friends pr- perspective i know people that use it just to hook up and i know people who use it as a serious serious um for looking you know, looking for serious relationship I know a friend actually. That's a good, uh, funny story that he got an assignment at work to do a Tinder date and to take the date to a school cafeteria and then write a report about it. And yeah, so that was like sort of fun. Yeah. But he didn't mean to, you know, to hook up with the girl right. or find a uh, relationship. <laughs> it was just a assignment. So yeah, so there are, I think even more. Uh, there's more to it than just those two. Mm, judging by my. F- friends which is a very very odd social bubble i don't know perhaps 20 30% i don't know none of my closer friends and i have few distant ones of which michael was one of them. Uh, he's one so basically i don't know i don't know maybe maybe less than 20 20% i don't know just, just one that i can recall safely Maybe there are others I haven't discussed that with. If the people we spoke to are right, whether you're in the Czech Republic, the United States, or anywhere in between, your chances of meeting someone through a dating app may just be on the rise. While using dating apps is perfectly legal, another common internet activity is not. We're talking about piracy. If you're looking for a movie or music album instead of your soulmate, you probably won't have much trouble finding one. According to a 2016 study, Roughly one-third of Czechs download music and watch TV or movies for free. We talked to MP Mikolaš Peksa, deputy leader of the Czech Pirate Party. This anti-establishment political party is rooted in a belief of freedom of information and is the third biggest party in the national parliament. I am a person who like spends a lot of time on the internet, like uh, being online, and I've realized that actually the most important thing I have are my data and my, my uh, virtual identity, I would say. And uh, well, I've encountered more and more situations when it was important for me that my data are protected, and I felt that there is a need for kind of like political solution for, for this type of problems. So what is the Pirate Party's specific goals in terms of issues like piracy and copyright laws? Do you have specific goals or do you have, or is it more just case by case? No, no, no. In general, what we are staying for is like the, the rights for, of the users. Because uh, the copyright 
is mostly enforced by biggest copyright holders and they write the law in a way which suits their interests and what we are saying for the interest of the users and that's quite legitimate because like users are on the other side and cannot protect themselves like for a big company it's quite easy to spend millions of euro and just have a lobbyists who spend all their daily work being in Brussels and trying to convince the uh, European Parliament members to write a law in a way which suits to the big company. But users cannot cannot do the same. Users cannot like protect their interests. And that's the reason why the pirate part is here. What specifically would you change? Well, in general, what we need is a common European copyright law so that uh, there would be no borders on the internet because currently we have borders on the internet. Like, for example, in France, you are prohibited to take a photo of a building and share it on the internet because that would violate the copyright law of the architect who created the building. I, I, I cannot explain it. Why is it that way? But it's a French law. It's, it's quite strange. So, like, uh, basically, uh, you can you can make a picture from Germany of French building and share it on the internet, and that's perfectly legal. But if you ju- just pass a few few uh, steps behind the border and um, make a, a photo of the same building, it's it's prohibited to share it. And that's something we should definitely abolish. Like, we should really have a common law. We really need uh, to to uh, go along the principle that whatever is allowed in a uh, in one country should be allowed in all the countries. Can you talk a little about your opposition? Are you facing any opposition in this? Yeah, but it's hard because there is no democratic opposition. Like mm. if you if you look on the parliament, you see a pirate party saying we want our freedom uh, on the internet, but there is no party publicly claiming that they want censorship on the internet. They are just uh, like pretending they are for, for the freedom, but like uh, introducing laws uh, which actually decreases the freedom on the internet. So it's not, there's no like, I don't know, anti-piracy organization or anything like that? That's uh, well, there are uh, like organizations, but they are not uh, political parties. Mm. It's basically um, mostly NGOs, who like uh, have paid employees and the NGOs earn their money uh, by donations from the biggest press publishers, movie creators and such organizations. Those are mostly lawyers just paid in order to uh, lobby politicians to write laws uh, to like enforce the business of the, of the biggest right holders. Thanks to Mikolash Peska for talking to us. Our previous episode of the podcast was all about money. Cryptocurrency one-ups fiat currencies like the dollar or crown by taking money online. And to say it has really taken off in Prague would be an understatement. (laughs) 
Forbes magazine found that Prague was the most Bitcoin-friendly city in the world in 2018, based on the number of vendors that accept it as payment. Cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin and Ethereum, work by logging transactions on a public digital ledger called a blockchain. Because they are decentralized, no central authority or middleman, such as a bank, controls them. Their power is entirely in the hands of the people who record the transactions. Osmani and I went to one of Prague's cryptocurrency hubs, Parallel Nepalis, in Holeshovice, and we spoke to one customer about how blockchain works. Well, there's uh, behind the Bitcoin, there's, there's this blockchain, which is basically an accounting book, accountancy book, which uh, includes all these transactions that happened since the beginning of Bitcoin. So if I would send you a Bitcoin, I would create a transaction uh, which uses a cryptography, basically private key and the public key, uh, which works similar to addresses, for example, you can imagine just bank accounts and passwords to your bank account. So if I create the transactions because I own my bitcoins, I use your address and I'll just upload these transactions to the internet. Then there are you know, persons called miners who will spot the transaction and they will include, in, include it in the blockchain. They will mine it. That's why, you know, the mining of Bitcoins, that's also how new Bitcoins are created. But basically that's it. There are these, these transactions, people that transact and there are the miners will include the transactions in the block. And every 10 minutes there's the new block, the new block is mined. And these blocks, they are chained by the cryptography and that's why you call them blockchain. Basically, it would, it's like a, a page. Every page in this accountancy book is one block. So you go in one block to another, to another, to another. Um, how does it have value? Like, how are you how able to value? use it? To pay? Oh, that's just supply and demand, nothing else. Uh, you know, Bitcoin is scarce. There's, there will only be a 20 million Bitcoin. Bitcoins. Uh, in the next, even in the next century, the next century, and uh, because it is scarce, people are valuing it. So, but the actual price you see, that's just supply and demand. Somebody wants to buy it, and somebody's willing to sell. So, there's nothing, you know, magical behind it. It's like everything else. It's just the market price. But it's based on, on the idea that it's scarce. If there would be like hundreds of millions of bitcoins, they wouldn't have the same prices as now. You might want a cappuccino from Parallel Nepalis. Or maybe you're more interested in its co-working space. Either way, you'd better be able to cough up some cryptocurrency. It's the only form of payment they accept. From currency, dating, downloading, and more, 
It's clear the internet is the credit card, matchmaker, and entertainment system of the future. This episode has explored some of the ways the internet can be used for good, but also some of the ways it can be exploited. The only question now is, how will you use it? Thanks for tuning in. This episode of the podcast was made possible by Phyllis Fay, Catherine Yep, Osmani Offre, Henry Rosenblum, Kathy Chiang, Zoe Schilling, Marley Kinzer, Kelly Drake, and Mary Beth Hopkins. With special thanks to editor Rob Cameron. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And do check out our previous episodes on SoundCloud. Until next time, I'm Sarah Jackson. And I'm Tyler Conrad. This has been The Broadcast. <laughs>